Well, as we've said, this is the, uh, we're observing this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. As we get started in, the, in this message, I invite you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 6. And as you get there, whether in your book or your mobile device, stick your thumb there and close your eyes for a second. And just listen. Tune your heart, tune your ears. Listen. Do you hear them? Do you hear the, the singing? Do you hear the, the worship? Open your eyes and look around the room. Look, look, look around the room. Do you see them? Do you see that great cloud of witnesses? That Hebrews 12 talks about that we're surrounded by not guardian angels. Don't get confused. Whatever the Bible says about that, that's not what the Hebrew writer is saying. These people, these, these Christians, these faithful ones that have suffered under intense persecution and oppression and unjust suffering, they're, we're surrounded by them. And they all bear witness to the name of Jesus, to the Word of God. They looked forward to a city not built by human hands. Figuratively or literally, we're surrounded by those who have gone before us. We stand on their shoulders. The ones who looked to Jesus faithfully and suffered because of it. In our way of thinking, it's almost like, Lord, if I do something well and if I do something for you, life's going to be good. Life ought to be good. But in the Bible way of thinking, the people who got it right the most suffered the worst. It was because of their faithfulness that they suffered. Now, many were judged because of their sin, but that's a different story. That's not this sermon. <laughs> Jesus said, the world will hate you. It hated me first. In this life, you will have tribulation. But yet, we read these words and we think, oh, well, that's for somebody else. That's for other people. And largely, that's true for us in America. Here in this Hebrews 12 passage, the writer says in verse 3, Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Just think about Jesus and all the things he went through, all the opposition he suffered, all the persecution, the death that he died. So think about that so you won't get weary. And then he says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And for that audience, that was true, but they, the operative word there is yet. You've not yet resisted to that point, but you will you will, and Jesus said, I'll, I'll still be with you. We haven't, I don't know, um, very many personally at all that have resisted sin to the point of shedding their own blood, but we have millions of brothers and sisters around the globe yet today who are in that very scenario. And a video from the Voice of the Martyrs will illustrate the situation in North Korea. Let's watch. In the primary school, we were taught that all missionaries were terrorists. 
They told us that a missionary will be nice to you at first, but when they get you into their homes, then they will kill you and eat your liver. There was no food and no work in my village. Like some others, I snuck across the mountain border into China. I picked mushrooms in the hopes of selling them in Chiang Mai. I don't speak Chinese at all. But in the mountains, I met a man. He said, I can sell those for you. And he didn't cheat me. He gave me all the money from the sale. At that time, I didn't know he was Pastor Han. Over the next two years, I went back several times. Each time, Pastor Han helped me. One day, I asked why he would do this for he himself was in great danger for assisting a North Korean. It is because I am a Christian, he said. That made me afraid. Was he going to eat my liver? One day, Pastor Han said to me, God is real. There is hope for every person. I could not believe he would say that word, God. Nobody says that word. We know it is an act of treason. To speak the name of God can lead to soldiers coming in the night. One day I asked Pastor Han for a Bible. He knew that if I was caught with a Bible, my life would be in danger. But over time, I persuaded him. I showed the Bible to my wife. At first, she refused to even look at it. Why would you bring that here, she cried. She knew that if anyone reported that you had even glanced at a Bible, you would be arrested, and not just you. You and all your relatives sent to the concentration camps for years and years and years.
Over time, my wife too learned that God is real. She found hope. And then I shared the word of God with my best friend. It was very dangerous for me to share. It was very dangerous for him to listen. One day in the summer of 2016, we heard that some North Korean assassins were being honored by the government, rewarded for their good work for killing a terrorist missionary in Chiang Mai. We knew it was Pastor Han. Who else could it be? We, we were frightened. Did they know he was my friend? Did they know I had met with him many times? Pastor Han gave his life, but he gave hope to me and to many other North Koreans. And despite the ever-present danger, Many of us will continue to share the message that God is real. We hope that our sacrifice, when the day comes, will be worthwhile, just like it was for Pastor Han. Would you bow with me, prayer? Father, your word says that um, precious in your sight is the death of the saints. And I'm thankful for people like Pastor Han, who on a regular basis for years put his life in jeopardy to populate heaven, to understand that people coming to know Christ was his main mission to make disciples in an area where it was very dangerous to do so. And I know that he's coming to his reward, and there are many who will do, do the same because of his work. Give us a discerning heart to know the difference between the enemy whispering in our ear that can never be you, and shame on you for never trying, and help us to understand the voice of the Spirit that says, follow me into that conversation. I will give you words to say, we can all participate in the things that led this man to his death, and we don't fear that. We, we have no reason to fear that here. So give us the strength also to share our walk with Jesus, to deepen our faith, and it, give endurance to the North Korean Christians as they still are under great oppression from an evil empire that does not answer to you, but will someday soon. In Jesus' name we all said, amen. Revelation 6, God is addressing, through the Apostle John, he's talking to the Christians. And in the first eight chapters of chapter 6, and I'm just going to go through this very quickly for the sake of context, 
and I'm kind of nerdy that way, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they're called, uh, there's a lot of, I don't know, weird ideas about who these people are and what they represent, but I'm just going to be very brief, accurate to the, to the purpose of the text. I watched as the Lamb, that is Jesus, opened the first of the seven seals. He's talking about a scroll that is rolled up and it, and it is sealed in certain places. And only Jesus is worthy of opening the scroll. So he's opening the first of the seven seals. And I heard the, one of the four living creatures in a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked and there before me was a white horse and its rider held a bow and he was given a crown. A bow, the weapon of war here. He was given a crown, authority, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. The lamb opened the second seal. I heard a second living creature say, Come, and another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make men slay each other, and to him was given a large sword. And the lamb opened the third seal, and I heard a third living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand, the things you measure things with, and I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a day's wages and three quarts of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. And the lamb opened the fourth seal. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. The first rider, the first horse is white, and throughout Revelation, white is a, is a color of victory. He was given a weapon of war, this bow and arrow, and he was given a crown, he was given authority, and he was bent on conquest. There will always be people bent on conquest. There will always be those that are allowed, for some reason, by God, see what he, he was given a bow, he was given this, this crown. God is in control of this situation. He didn't take it for himself. God allowed it to happen and gave this to him. And who he is doesn't matter. It's human nature. There will be always people bent on conquest, waging war. And then the second, this fiery red, red throughout Revelation is a symbol of evil, color of evil, given power to take away peace. What happens when you're bent on conquest? Peace goes away. And a sword. There will always be conflict of people with people who are not like us. There will always be people who want to pick fights. And there will always be a lack of peace because someone is bent on conquest. The third, now we see what are the implications of a world at war? Economic suffering. This scales, he's given, this this third horseman, a day's worth of food costs a day's wage for one person. Whether it's cheap barley or good wheat, it's a day's wage for one person. The worst ones affected by war are the poor, largely. And the poor don't have access to oil and wine. That's a rich person's. They have barrels and, and vats of that kind of stuff. And typically, you don't touch the oil and the wine in war because the rich are insulated from the suffering that happens. It's the poor that pay the highest price in war. And then there is the pale horse. Death. 
Someone said that Hades is the stomach of the mouth named death. And death is an obvious consequence of war. Anywhere, people's lives will be lost. The four horsemen are always riding together all throughout history. And this was the case for the saints that John was writing to. It is the case for the saints today. Rome was defined by these four. And what God is doing is providing heavenly perspective. But the Lamb is in charge. God gave this for whatever reason, to these, to these systems, these governments. The living creatures say, come. The riders were given the weapons, which leads us to our fifth seal. The result of all of this are people dying, Christians losing their lives. And in verse 9 it says, He opened the fifth seal, and I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Let me just run through those three verses, just phrase by phrase, word for word. The lamb broke the fifth seal. He saw under the altar. What's an altar? An altar is a place where you sacrifice. You give an offering to God. And that's where these people, these, these, the presence of these people were. They were, as they gave themselves as sacrifice to God, they were under the altar. The souls. Okay, there's that word. We're talking about souls. Next week we'll get into resurrection there is a time frame between death on this, on this planet and resurrection to a glorified body that we don't know very much about, frankly. The Bible doesn't spend a lot of time explaining what exactly happens. We'll cover a lot of that, but this is a picture of people waiting. Waiting. They had been martyred. The word is having been slain. And estimates say... And you can get this at various places um, around, around the web. I encourage you to grab one of those magazines out on the Welcome Center from Voice of the Martyrs. But another resource is called Open Door USA. OpendoorUSA.org is a great resource um, to talk about and learn about the persecuted church worldwide. And they put out a watch list. And the top 10 persecuting countries, number one being North Korea, and then Afghanistan, and Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Sudan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, and India. The top ten nations whose Christian populations endure the most suffering. These having been slain, why? For the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. It wasn't just that they knew the word. It wasn't just that they were familiar with the Bible. It was their testimony. It was the words that they spoke continued to speak. Even under threat, even under suffering, they maintained their testimony. They did not shrink back from it. It doesn't take us a whole lot sometimes to, to be silenced. A sideways glance, an awkward conversation, a little ridicule, and we're done. But these people were different. And they shouted. It says they cried out in a loud voice to the Lord. This is significant. John mentions it. I don't, I don't know why exactly, but it's 
their voices were not weak. They weren't quiet about it. They weren't trying to, you know, beat around the bush saying, hey, if you get time there, God, how about doing us a favor? No, it was, they cried out loudly. They're ready for something to be done about the injustice in the world, about the evil that's so prevalent. They said, oh, sovereign Lord. How did they address him? As master, as king, as the one in charge. He is sovereign. He is master over all creation. And for whatever reason, your plan was to have us killed for the faith that we maintained. Sovereign Lord, when, when, how long, it says, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world? How long until you avenge our blood for what they have done to us? You see, judgment and vengeance belong to the Lord God. Only he can carry that out, and they are waiting for justice. They want it. They, they're, even now, there are brothers and sisters of ours who are oppressed and beaten and mistreated and falsely imprisoned and tortured. They will eventually perhaps lose their lives, and they are all asking, how long? And not necessarily how long until this is all over with and I can get out of here, but how long until justice is done? How long until justice rolls like a mighty river? We don't tend to pray that way, do we? We don't, we don't tend to pray for justice and God's vengeance. We pray for comfort and we pray for security and we pray for our, our pain to end. We want all things to be made comfortable and secure. We don't tend to pray judgment or God's action and vengeance on the world. But when it happens, when it does happen, maybe flip a page in your Bible to, to Revelation 8. Check out Revelation 8, and in verse 3, this is a bit of an aside, we'll get back to chapter 6. Chapter 8, verse 3, it says, An angel who had a golden censer, now this is an instrument of worship, something that holds incense, it came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. Many times prayer and incense are equated or put together in Scripture. On the golden altar before the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And in his lecture on this chapter, Shane Wood asked the question, what were they praying for? What were those prayers? They came up before God and resulted in fire from an altar and thrown on the earth where there is now action. And it isn't altogether pleasant. It is judgment on the earth. What were they praying for? They were told, back in chapter 6, they asked the question, how long until, until you avenge our blood? And each of them was given a white robe. White is the symbol of victory. They were given a white robe. Later on in the book, Jesus will come riding on a white horse. And he's called faithful and true. The king of kings and lord of lords. And they were given this white robe and they were told to wait hate waiting <laughs> a little longer until when until more of you die not enough of you dead yet you need to wait until more of your brothers and sisters join you where you are 
and then the end will come. And then judgment, and then vengeance, and then justice will take place. See, God is patient, and he's willing for his people to suffer. Get that? He's willing for his people to suffer on this planet because they have hope in a future reality that is a whole lot better than what we're hanging on to so tightly right now. He wants people to come to repentance, but a time will come when his patience will be ended. Those of us in relatively safe environments, Christianity is sometimes celebrated, given freedom, maybe just tolerated. We don't pray for the end to come with that kind of urgency because we're relatively comfortable in our faith. We don't have the need of being delivered. But those who have lost livelihood and family members and security, those who have been imprisoned under constant threat of surveillance and arrest, justice and judgment cannot come quickly enough. These people, here's the paradox that I've lived out because I grew up here. I understand this culture, our culture. Those of us with the least to lose are the least sometimes likely to share our faith because it doesn't cost us anything. We might get an awkward glance. We might have an awkward conversation. It might distance a friendship or it might cost us maybe even a family relationship for, for a time and those are prices that we pay but we don't have the threat of shedding blood and it's the ones that have the most to lose that seem they're the most urgent about sharing the faith that they have because it costs them everything. It is so valuable to them. They want someone else to know it too. The time will come when all things will come to a flaming end. And the end of chapter 6, the great day of the wrath will come and who can stand? Who can stand? Chapter 7 is an answer to that question. Everyone will go through the first death. And it's something that as a Christian, as one in Christ, we shouldn't fear the first death. It's the second death that God is so concerned about keeping people away from going through that. And that is why I believe that those who have given up any worry of the first death are so keen on keeping others from the second. And those of us who are so afraid of the first death and do everything we can to keep it from happening because we want to stay here are so less likely to be concerned about the second death and anyone around us to be threatened by that. So how can we pray? How can we pray? There is in your bulletin a, uh, an insert that will help you. I was gone three days this week on a convention and I didn't realize that was going to come in. So I made one for you too. So if you don't have one of this, I think there's enough for like one per family. If you can uh, raise your hand, if you, can, if you didn't get one of those. While they're doing that, I want you to grab your smartphone, grab it out. I know some people said, but put it away, put it away, put it no, you get it out. And I want you to get to your app store or Google Play or whatever it is that you have where you get where you get your apps. Open that up. And on the search bar, I want you to type Operation World. Okay, two words, Operation World. And it should come up with a blue and orange icon. OW, perhaps, is, it says OW. Ow. Okay. Operation World is a 
book. It's been out for years. They've made it an app. And what you can do, um, instead of having a one day a year for a prayer for the persecuted church or one Sunday a month where we pray for the persecuted church, you can pray for the persecuted church every day. And your phone can tell you to do it because you can turn on notifications. Every day is a different country. Today, the highlight is on South Sudan. And it's very simple the way they put it. It just gives you information about the country itself, whatever kind of political strife there is, what kind of ethnic cleansing is going on, any kind of history perhaps. And then the next tab is stats. Where is this place? How many people live there? People groups and languages. What the religion is. How many percentage of Christians there are. And then there's ways to pray. Different information about how to pray for South Sudan. And at the bottom of my screen anyway, it tells me right now there are 1,036 people praying for South Sudan. And you can hit I am praying and join a thousand people in praying for the saints in South Sudan as they suffer under a war-torn country. South Sudan is one of the newest countries on the planet, and it's, in, it's, it's going down in flames. It's a terrible place for Christians to be sometimes. North, the northern part is, is worse. But Operation World is a great tool for you to spend, I mean, just even two minutes in your devotional time, in, in your prayers before bed, before you scroll through Facebook for a half an hour, take five minutes in Operation World and put some of that time to better use. I stand as one convicted <laughs> about just scroll, scroll. Oh, that's funny. Uh, scroll, scroll. More cat videos. Scroll, scroll. Okay. Operation World or Open Door USA, or something like that will make your time a lot more valuable to the kingdom. And you will not just make a difference in the, in the ear of God and in the, in the heart of his people, it will transform the way you see the world. Prayer doesn't necessarily, I, I love this line about prayer doesn't, isn't meant to change God, it's meant to change me. And God hears our prayers as his people, and he is active. Lots of other things that you can do on this paper and in, this, in the insert, I pray that as um, this has been not just informative but equipping, that before you leave here today, you can use the guest Wi-Fi that we set up to get this downloaded and it won't cost you any data at all. How easy is this to spend some time praying for brothers and sisters in Christ? So let's do that together as, uh, as the worship team comes back up. I want to invite us to pray. And I'm going to use this paper to do it. Pray with me through these. Father God, as we um, come before you, um, we're humbled by the fact that we have a great gift and we live in a place that has tremendous freedom to exercise uh, and, and express our faith in ways that we feel are, are good and right. And while we not, may not have everyone agree with us, we very rarely will have anyone threaten our way of life or our person. So I pray that you'd give our persecuted brothers and sisters the words to say to anyone who might confront them, that they would open their mouth and words be given them, and they would fierce, fearlessly make known the gospel, that they would find your peace, even in their weakness, even in their sickness, those even who are languishing in prison waiting for, for release or for being, someone being their advocate, let them know that, that your grace is sufficient. 
that your power is made perfect in their weakness. And they can boast more than gladly in their weaknesses that your power may rest upon them. And that they would face hardship with the power larger than themselves. That they may be burdened beyond strength. May they may be despair of life itself. And maybe feel like they're just going to die at any point. But that they would know that you're sufficient. And that you're, they can rely on you. Who raises the dead? who will raise the dead in Christ. And we pray for them t- that you would protect them according to, to your will. I know, I've heard dozens of, of stories of people smuggling Bibles into uh, these places that the guards are just blinded, literally blinded to the fact that there's a box of Bibles right there in the back seat of the car. And that you would protect them from, from, need, from the suffering that wouldn't, produce in them the kind of fruit that you want that it would you would protect them so that souls might know and people would come to to know you and that um, their witness would inspire those who seek to harm them that even their the ones that are their guards the ones that do the torturing would see their love for one another for love for their enemies and it would break their hearts and they would turn to Jesus Give them endurance and give them patience so that the full number of them might come to fruition and we all would come to know the justice that you will bring upon the earth for all the evil and all the injustice that has been perpetrated among, among people and that, uh, that your people would, would know freedom and release and reward and we would all hear those words well done well done good and faithful servant enter into your master's happiness in Jesus name we all said amen